Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold the peter schiff show I'm recording this podcast from my hotel room here in Las Vegas. I've been here for the last couple of days for Freedom Fest. It's an event that I've been going to uh, for years. I remember I was at the very first Freedom Fest, and it was a very small event. And now there are more than 2,000 liberty-minded individuals and investors who attend this annual conference in July in Las Vegas. But I wanted to take some time to record a, a podcast and kind of recap what's happened uh, since my last podcast on Tuesday. I want to start with Janet Yellen's uh, talk today in front of the uh, City Club of Cleveland, where she actually received a standing ovation uh, at the end of her talk. And I only heard little bits of it. I got a lot of stuff to do down here in Vegas. I can't imagine anything that she would have said where she got a standing ovation. I mean, I gave a pretty uh, good workshop earlier today to a packed house. Not only did we have standing room only, but we ran out of standing room and people had to uh, stand in the hallways to listen to what I had to say. And I had the biggest room uh, that they that they give you here for a workshop, but I didn't get a standing ovation. I don't think anybody stood up except until it was time to leave. But I know they all appreciate what I had to say. I got some applause, I got some laughter, but I didn't get the long standing ovation. Uh, that Janet Yellen received. I mean, everybody, one after one, they stood up, they kept clapping. What could she have said? That was that interesting or exciting. I mean, she's not a very compelling speaker. And what little I heard, uh, you know, would have produced snores rather than a standing ovation. But the way the newspapers reported it, Janet Yellen says rates to go up by the end of the year. 
And of course, I knew that she didn't say that. I mean, she would never commit to raising interest rates uh, later this year. So here's the quote. This is what she actually said. And I'm reading this from a article on the internet. Quote, based on my outlook, and there's your hint, right? It's based on her outlook, which could obviously be wrong and probably is. But based on my outlook, I expect that it will be appropriate at some point later this year to take the first step to raise the federal funds rate and thus begin normalizing monetary policy. That's it. And she also said, quote, I want to emphasize that the course of the economy and inflation remains highly uncertain and unanticipated developments could delay or accelerate the first step. Meaning that based on her rosy outlook, if she ends up being right, then it might be appropriate to raise rates later this year, not a particular time, and not that it will be appropriate or that she expects it. Rather, she expects it to be appropriate. But of course, that's an expectation. So it might not be. She expects it will be based on her rosy outlook. But if she's wrong and she wants to emphasize that, if something happens that she doesn't anticipate, then the process could be delayed. In other words, the process will, will be delayed because whatever happens will be things that she didn't anticipate. Even if she's already anticipated them, she's not going to announce that because, again, the last thing that Yellen wants to do is to admit that she can't raise rates because rates have been at zero for seven years. It's been nine years since the Fed has raised rates. I mean, that's probably some kind of a record. I haven't looked it up, but we've been nine years without a rate hike. No one even... Remember, there are people that young people have been alive, you know, the last time the Fed raised interest rates. I mean, I have my oldest son is 12. So I guess he was he was three years old the last time the Fed raised interest rates. But the market is not prepared for that, given the enormity of the debt. Right. A lot of uh, talk about Greece and Puerto Rico uh, the last week. Again, this is all about too much debt. Well, we've got more debt than anybody. The United States owes more money than all the other debtor nations combined. And we are not able to pay it. We can only pretend we're solvent and 0% interest rates are a big part of that pretense. Because if the Fed makes this debt more expensive to service, well, then our creditors are going to start to get wise because we're not going to be able to afford normalization. That's why she's talking about the first step to normalization. Because even if she takes the first step, she ain't taking any more. We're going to get nowhere near normal because our debt is abnormal. We have a much abnormal level of debt, and therefore we can't have normal interest rates with an abnormal amount of debt. We can't afford it. We need 0% interest rates. But also, you know, in her talk, she said that the labor market is continuing to improve. No, it's not. What Didn't she see the jobs report that came out on Friday? Didn't she see all those downward revisions to prior months, didn't she see the plunge in the labor force participation rate to 62.6, a new low since 1977? Didn't she see the mass exodus from the workforce? Didn't she see all those part-time jobs that replaced the full-time jobs that were lost? That was bad economic news. Didn't she just listen to or see the jobless claims that came out just yesterday? The weekly jobless claims last week surged to 297,000. That is the highest weekly level of job claims since mid-February. February. The continuing claims also rose to their highest level since mid-March. Does that sound 
like the employment picture is continuing to improve, when jobless claims have surged and we just revised down a lot of the jobs that we thought we were creating and we saw the labor force participation hit a new low, what is she talking about? We're continuing to see improvements in the labor market. No, we're not. Meanwhile, she already said earlier that she's not going to begin to raise rates until the labor market improves further. And since she said that, the labor market has worsened. So obviously, we're further away from a rate hike than we were. In fact, if you look at the wholesale inventories that came out earlier today for May, they spiked up by 0.8%, much higher than people thought. That might help the second quarter GDP a bit, but at the expense of a lower third quarter. Because why was there a spike in inventory? Because they didn't sell enough. Sales rose just 0.3%, but year over year, sales are now down 3.4%. That's the biggest year-over-year decline in sales since the 2008 financial crisis. So that's not a that's not a good sign. And again, businesses are loaded up on inventory that they can't sell because they believe their customers can afford to buy stuff when they can't because either they've dropped out of the labor market so they don't have a paycheck. Maybe they have a welfare check, but they they can't afford to buy stuff. If they're still in the labor force, it's because they got a lousy part-time job. So they're not making a lot of money. Meanwhile, they have a lot of debt from all the stuff they shouldn't have bought in the past that they couldn't afford. And so now instead of buying new things, they have to pay interest on the stuff that they already bought. They got student loans. They got car loans. They're upside down in their mortgage if they haven't already been foreclosed on, in which case they're renting and the rents have been going up every year and their food prices are going up every year. They don't have any money left over. So all these businesses that have overestimated the strength of the consumer. They've hired people. They've loaded up on inventory. When they figure out that they bet wrong, they're going to have to start liquidating inventory and laying people off. All this stuff is right around the corner, but Janet Yellen gets a standing ovation uh, because she can't recognize that. Also in the news is more turmoil, I guess, in Greece. I reported that they voted no on accepting the austerity terms that were the conditions of the European bailout. They voted no, and everybody in Greece was partying, gave uh, Germany the middle finger, you know, no, we want a better deal. Well, as I said, there is no better deal. The deal is the deal. Germany cannot afford to cave here because the moral hazard is too great. And if some people think this, if this is a game of chicken, it's not because Germany isn't going to budge. So it's it's all up to Greece. And it looks like now they're doing that because now they have basically agreed to abide by a bailout with conditions that are pretty much identical to the ones that the voters just rejected. So Greece is basically caving in and saying, OK, look, yes, we voted no, but it wasn't no to, you know, to the euro. We don't want to leave the euro, even though that's what a lot of people probably thought they were voting to do, get out of the euro. But the referendum wasn't, should we or should we not stay in the euro? Because if they, they, he didn't want to chance that referendum. So the referendum was just, well, uh, should we accept the deal or try to get something better? And I guess the answer is we tried to get something better and we failed. And so we need to accept the deal because we don't want to accept the consequences of being kicked out of the eurozone and having to have the drachma. Because as I said before, if Greek pensioners don't want their pensions cut, they're going to get a crew cut rather than a a, a haircut if they have to get paid their pensions in drachma. I don't think any Greek workers want their pensions paid in drachma. They want them paid in euros. 
Well, the deal is if you want them in euros, you got to accept less or you got to work more years before you can collect, which is going to be a lot better than uh, getting getting drachmas. Because who knows what, if anything, those drachmas will end up being worth. So as I've said from the beginning, I think that the moral hazards are such that Europe can't budge and that Greece is going to have to cave. And given the political reality, given how bad things are going to get in the short run, if they actually leave the Eurozone, even though in the long run, it may be a a much better thing. Because I don't see how the Greek economy is going to survive with the debt intact, without a significant haircut. The Greek economy can really never recover, and they're kind of trapped. But I know that if they leave, their socialist government is not likely to lead them in the right direction. They're going to continue in the wrong direction. There's going to be chaos. It's going to be a much bigger short-term problem. But that could be the catalyst for an independent Greece to hopefully adopt the free market type reforms that are necessary to grow that economy. But I don't know if they can ever really grow, given the enormity of the debt that's going to overhang that economy and keeping a socialist type government in power. Maybe if they left the eurozone, imploded, they had much more austerity than what is currently being offered in exchange for a bailout. But it might be a real solution. It might be the catalyst to real change instead of preserving the status quo which doesn't work for the Greeks. But Europe needs this in order to maintain the euro, in order to keep pressure on other countries to know that, hey, we didn't forgive the Greek debt, so we're not going to forgive your debt, Portugal, or your debt, Spain, or your debt, France, or everybody has got to take steps to rein in their deficits because there isn't going to be a freebie. We're not just going to say, okay, you have a lot of debt, you can't pay, we'll forgive it. Because that is the moral hazard that they have to extinguish right now. Otherwise, everybody will follow in that lead, follow in that example and say, hey, there's no reason to cut our spending. Let's live lavishly. Let's keep on borrowing. Because at the end of the day, we're going to get a bailout. We're going to get our debts forgiven. So why worry about them? Why pay them if we're going to get it forgiven? Also, you know, want to comment again about what's going on in China with the Chinese stock market. There has been a lot of coverage of the collapse in the Chinese stock market as if there's this big bubble that's bursting and this is it, the whole thing is imploding, the Chinese market's gonna take the global market down and maybe a lot of this worries about China is again causing a bid to come into the dollar. Even though you know the Euro actually closed the week very strong. It was up on the week, up above 111. And as I've said many, many times, regardless of how this works, either Greece leaves the Eurozone or caves into the demands and stays in the Eurozone, but accepts the austerity, that is a win for the Euro. Either way, either you get rid of the weakest link or you make the weakest link stronger. But either way, the chain gets better. The worst thing for the Euro was to cave into the Greek demands because you were so afraid of Greece leaving. That didn't happen. And so I think the strength of the euro is going to continue. And ultimately, that's going to spill over into other currencies because the weak euro was feeding the positive dollar sentiment. But so was, you know, this decline in Chinese stocks. But, you know, you got to put this decline into perspective, because even though the market is down better than 30 percent in a short period of time, the Chinese market is still positive on the calendar year. The U.S. market is down. The Chinese market is up. But you have to remember that beginning in April of this year, Chinese stocks took off. They went up in a spectacular rally in a very short period of time. Why did that happen? From from April to June, in about two months, the Shanghai index went from 2,500 to 3,700. I mean, a huge move, huge move up. 
Why did that happen? Because all of a sudden the Chinese government made it possible for Chinese investors to own certain types of stocks for the first time. They were legally prevented from doing it, then all of a sudden they can do it. So now you have a rush of people all trying to buy the same stocks at the same time. Well, it's no accident, it shouldn't surprise anybody, when a bunch of people rush in trying to buy all at the same time, that the price is going to go up. Right, so we had a big rise in a very short period of time. Obviously, that type of rise is unsustainable. At some point, there's going to be profit taking, and then there's going to be some panic selling. And so the market collapsed, and it sold off much quicker than it rallied, which is generally the way markets work. There's an old saying, markets take the stairs up and the elevator down. Well, I guess this time they took the escalator up and the elevator down because the move up and the move down were quick. But of course, the move down was much quicker than the move up, which is always the case. But all we did is retrace those gains. And in fact, the market now, the Shanghai closed the week about 2,800. That's still well above the 2,500 where it was in April when this big rally started. Yes, we're still below the 3,700 mark, but this is not a crash. And I think that the fundamentals that drove the market higher for those first two months, those are still solid fundamentals and they're in place. The fact that so many people rushed to buy so quickly, well, that's obviously problematic for anybody. And now some people panicked and bailed out. But I think this is a buying opportunity. I think the market is going to slowly recoup what has been lost. And the next round of gains will be more sustainable because it's not going to be as big a rush. Now, I do think some of the things that Chinese government has tried to do in reaction maybe have exacerbated the decline. I think, again, they would have been wiser just to not make any comments or the type of comments they did. If anything, if they wanted to buy stocks, I mean, they have $4 trillion in foreign reserves, better own some Chinese companies uh, than U.S. dollars, and they obviously could have probably uh, sold those stocks off over the months as the fear and the panic subsided and more legitimate buyers came in. Obviously, what so many of the Chinese investors should have done once they, they, it was announced that they could buy these stocks is they should have waited. But they got caught up in the hysteria. They got caught up in the euphoria. If they would have been patient and waited for the market to come back down, they could have had a, a better entry point. But again, it's very difficult to do that. I mean, Americans don't do that very well. Why should we expect the Chinese, especially when so many of them are new uh, to investing? And so they made a classic mistake. They chased the market. They got excited. They bought into the hysteria. They thought they would get rich quick. And then people panicked when all of a sudden there was a correction. But I think the media is blowing this out of proportion with the respect to how big a disaster this is for the China, or it shows that there's something inherently wrong with that market or that economy. It doesn't. The only thing that was wrong is so many retail investors new to the market made the same mistake at the same time, which was just buying. They didn't use limits. They bought at the market. They competed with one another to bid up prices. Prices went up too quickly, and now they corrected. It is normal market behavior and if you try to make something other than that out of it, I think it's just hysteria or overreaction. Now, certainly to the Chinese investors who bought in near the top and then sold out, yeah, those are real losses. And that's a lesson that's going to be learned. And hopefully people will learn from it. But I hear a lot of the U.S. commentators pointing to the absurdity of some of these Chinese stocks and their, and their multiples and their valuations. And it's like, hey, you know, you're living in a glass house. Why are you throwing stones? You can say the same thing about a lot of U.S. stocks. There's plenty of U.S. companies with no earnings that have ridiculous valuations. That's going on over here. Now, of course, 
the stocks that I invest in, I you know use the same type of value approach. So a lot of these stocks that were taking off and went up so much and came down so quickly, those are not the stocks that I've been buying. But even the more solid stocks were affected, were caught up. They didn't go up nearly as much. And of course, they didn't come down nearly as much, but they did have volatility on a smaller scale. And again, maybe that's causing some people to get nervous about what's happening in China. Believe me, the real fundamentals of the Chinese economy are much sounder than is generally perceived. Are there problems? Yes. What is the cause of those problems? Their monetary policy. That is the biggest problem. It's too loose. Their interest rates are too low. They're printing too much money. Why are they doing that? Because they're trying to maintain their peg to the U.S. dollar. They're trying to keep their currency down. And when you do that, you get bubbles. You get people looking for alternatives because they can't get enough interest on their savings. So they chase the real estate market. They chase the stock market. This is happening in China too. But beneath the suds of these bubbles is a legitimate economy that is producing, that is growing, you have savings, you have investment, you have real legitimate economic growth, something that is missing in the U.S. economy. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They are all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com.